This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Education. Wait for it. Okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh. One of my favorite songs when I was a kid. And there's two different things that that song ends up sort of bringing to mind for me. When I hear that one is one, every time, every time I spell the word School, S-C-H-O-O-L, that song is what goes through my head, whether it was me as a kid, whether it's me as a, as a 40-year-old man at this point. Anytime I type or I write the word school, S-C-H-O-O-L, is what I hear in my head when I'm doing that. And in addition to that, what New Edition brings to me as well is as we approach Friday, when I get to Thursday night, which I term is party night, and certainly when I get to Friday, I think about that song and the way they say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and let you know that the weekend is here. That's where we're at. We've been having an outstanding time on Friday night here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, you tell them, Sean Anderson. That's right. Having a great time here on the score. One hour left to go with you. I'm taking you up till 9 o'clock this evening. And uh, we've been talking a lot about the Cubs in the first hour of the show. It was a nice, positive day out at Wrigley Field. Over 36,000 folks out there checking out what I suppose is fair to term as the end of an era. Uh, It is not the the first time we've witnessed the end of an era here in Chicago. There's a lot of that kind of going on around town here in recent years. But the, the beginnings, the burgeonings of new eras as well, and not only Uh, The president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, and whether it was him addressing the assembled Chicago media yesterday or Jed being on with Lawrence Holmes today. Also, one thing that, that took place on the station yesterday that I found really intriguing was Matt Spiegel when he was on with Dan and Layla. He was on Bernstein and Rahimi doing his Thursday segment yesterday. And he was talking about a couple of different things. One was addressing Chris Bryant, and one were some comments uh, that he had specifically on discussions he's had with the the Ricketts family, with the ownership 
of the Chicago Cubs. And I think there's a couple of different things. One, one of the, the sound clips that we played for you earlier with Jed Hoyer and the way he described how to sort of compartmentalize things and comparing this current restructuring, roster reconfiguring, whatever term Jed prefers to use, aside from calling it a rebuild, I do respect the fact that he's being careful to not call it a rebuild because that does give the, especially when we think about how much it goes into and about a decade ago almost at this point, how much went into tearing things down to build it back up back then. And it seems like he's phrasing it in a way that uh, that folks shouldn't feel like they're going to tear it all the way down before building it back up. So I respect that. I think the Cubs fans should be very encouraged by that tone for where things are at at the moment. Because frankly, you shouldn't have to do all that if you're the Chicago Cubs. Financially, you shouldn't be in a position where you feel like that's necessary. You are not the Miami Marlins. You are not the Kansas City Royals. You are the Chicago Cubs. There is money available to do what needs to be done to make that happen. And Speeds was on with Dan and Layla yesterday. And I'm going to dovetail some of the Speeds sound into a, a comparison that I'd like to make with the, the current Cubs, where they sit with things and, and coming out of this era with a, another team from my childhood, from the, the infancy of my fandom. Um, but first off, let, let's hear when Speeds was on uh, Bernstein and Rahimi yesterday, he was talking specifically about Chris Bryant and what the Cubs slugger, what the former rookie of the year and former MVP, what he potentially means once he does end up hitting the open market. It is one final FU twist of fate, possibly, to damage the Cubs' leverage when it comes to KB, right? We could trace all those fate twists, him being hurt, him being bad and hurt last year heading into this offseason, the uncertainty of the pandemic, waiting too long in general to deal uh, them was uh, under their own control. But this final FU twist of fate, here's the team that should trade for Bryant. You ready? Yeah. It's the Oakland A's. In danger in the American uh. League West. Um, falling behind the Astros, but they would be the second wild card right now ahead of Seattle, Toronto, Cleveland, the Yankees. So they're likely to make the playoffs, but they really need offense badly. Middle of the pack in runs in the American League, ninth in OPS, ninth in OBP, seventh in home runs. They have Matt Chapman at third and Matt Olson at first locked in. No problem. Bryant's played 44 games in the outfield. Their best outfielder, Mark Canha, has a hip injury, is out through the break. He gets on base a lot, but his replacement's not so much. They're using Tony Kemp, Chad Pinder. Tony Kemp's terrible. They just activated Steven Piscotty, but he's basically been hurt for three years and bad when he's healthy. Brian could play the corner outfield spots. Their pitching is really good, especially the starters. Uh, and then here's why I love it the most. Dan Kantrovitz was the assistant GM in Oakland. He worked that farm system ah, from 2015 through 2019. Angle. So that is your Cubs scouting guy, and he knows that system deeply. I, I, you know, so he knows those people and has contacts there. So he should be able to pick a few out for uh, for Bryant from that system. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. And as as usual, speaks all over it. He's got his his ideas. He's got his his ear to the to the dirt, as it were, as opposed to the grindstone in baseball parlance. But. Um, one portion of what he was talking about with Dan and Layla as well, I think the parallels what we were hearing from Jed today when he was on with Lawrence, specific to how quick the turnaround could be, how, how much of a teardown would be necessary for a rebuild. What is the, what's the palette 
that the Cubs will have for that because I don't get the impression Cubs fans have much of a palate for that. I think they're going to find that a bit distasteful for where things are at at the moment. Just everything that kind of got withstood in, in the years since 2012 when they did tear it down to build it up and not only build up the, the infrastructure of the minor league system and of the roster and all the guys who came up quickly to, to have early success in their careers and the World Series and everything else, built up Wrigleyville, like literally built up Wrigleyville around Wrigley Field as well. And so all those different things just organizationally seemed to be setting up sustained success. Like not just here's a five-year stretch where you're going to be one of the best in the National League, perhaps one of the best in all of baseball over that period of time, but to be able to constantly be in contention or at least efforting contention. Not one of these squads who goes a few years and then tears it down again. And so I think those were some of the concerns that that a lot of Cub fans have been voicing on this station and, and other places. But not only what we heard from Jed earlier, but Speaks was talking a bit about his impressions of where things are at with the Ricketts family and their their palette for how things will go and, and what his discussions both on and off the record have been with the Ricketts uh, about how this rebuild would end up looking. Heard a caller this morning saying, ah, Ricketts just wants to, wants to reap in the money now, doesn't want to compete. No, I, I've had conversations with that dude on air, off the air. Not only does he think it's good business to win and be competitive, he really he wants to, you know. So, look, there are limitations to that, and I, I certainly have some quarrels with some of the the choices and some of the the stops as he, he he's kind of stopped throwing good money after bad um, uh, earlier than necessary. So I'm not just I'm not singing the praises, but what I'm saying is. It's going to be one year of stepping backwards, and and I don't know how far back it's going to be next year because baseball's middle class is going to be remarkably affordable again, and we don't know exactly what the um, the collective bargaining is going to do to that free agent market. But with all this money they've got coming off the books, and some guys are just going to go away for compensatory draft picks or or not if they don't want even want to offer them the qualifying offer, um, it, it, they'll fill it out with some of that middle class. Of, of free agents as, as sign and flip options for next year. But then I, I think you're going to hit spring training of 2023 with, with actual desires and beliefs that you can contend in the division again. And that'd be fine by me. I really hope fine. you're right. And nobody knows for sure, of course, just like Dan and Layla immediately leaping in like, hey, that'd be nice, but you know, we don't know for sure, but... Because it, it does, it sounds nice, it sounds good, it sounds palatable. That's more palatable than the notion that, you know, the Cubs could be five years away from competing again. It, it just that, that wouldn't seemingly make a lot of sense for that to be the necessary approach. But a lot of folks have not only sort of a glasses is half empty look on it, but just a, a pensive sort of approach to whether or not there would be a very quick return to aggression by the ball club. But not only hearing that from Speegs yesterday, just his perception of things and, and discussions he's had about what the approach will be and what the palette will be for it, but also hearing versions of that directly from Jed today and his hesitation with calling it a rebuild is because he doesn't see this being like what happened in 2012 and taking the amount of time and you know the much even quicker timeline in getting to 2015 and 2016, which does lead me to a comp just thinking to 
my younger years, and I mean, I'm talking extremely younger years at this point, I'm thinking back to the, the early to mid-80s where the Bears were the team that seemed to be building towards this, this dynastic run. You know, the, the Bears of, of Mike Ditka and Walter Payton and Jim McMahon, that mid-80s stretch of Chicago Bears football was really what this current Cubs run was supposed to be. And there's a lot of parallels between that where 1984 Bears were a double-digit win team and they made the playoffs and you know they had already had Walter in the house for a long time, but they finally, between you know Dick coming in as, as a coach, some of the other draft picks and, and just the generational defense that they put together, then having the ability to to look like a, a team that could sustain dominance. And then after 84 and then going 10 and 6 and, and making the playoffs, and then the following year, what some folks would still at this point term is maybe the greatest team of all time, but I think we all know at this point it's largely a defensive team. So, you know, maybe the greatest defense of all time is probably the most accurate way to view the 85 Bears. But as a, as a team in totality where you didn't have Walter Payton at his peak anymore at that point, but you did have all those personalities, and especially on the defensive side, who seemed to be in their prime. The notion was that Jim Harbaugh, or I'm sorry, Jim McMahon, should have been entering his prime at that point too. But of course, his body broke down uh, so violently <laughs> in a number of ways that that didn't sustain. But the following year in '86, st- statistically, there were certain ways where the Bears' defense was even better in 1986 than it was in 1985. And so you look at coming off of that 85 regular season, the dominant playoff run, and then the 1986 Super Bowl, where they dominate the New England Patriots in Super Bowl Twenty. there were a lot of folks just sort of prognosticating that the Bears were going to be the team of the decade. Team of the decade ended up being the San Francisco 49ers because of Bill Walsh and the sustainability of both their offensive approach and the, the cycling through of various types of defensive talent and, you know, certainly into the early 90s as they transitioned from Joe Montana to Steve Young. But that was the team of the 90s, or, or the 80s, and then into the 90s, and that was the franchise of the 80s and into the 90s in the NFL, whereas the Bears, they were good, they were competitive, the defense was certainly still a stalwart throughout a lot of that time, but there was the one Super Bowl championship in the 80s and, and through the 90s and through the Mike Dicker run, there was only the one Super Bowl appearance. You, of course, had the additional Super Bowl appearance 20 years later under Lovey Smith. But the Bears of the mid to late 80s are, are the squad that I think parallels it in a lot of different ways with what we're currently seeing from the Chicago Cubs. And the NFL is structured very differently, especially back then in the 80s where you know free agency you know, wasn't really a thing yet at that point so you didn't see all the roster turnover then that you do now but because the Cubs felt sustainable because it was so much homegrown talent that was there and then you added a couple of expensive and key free agent pieces like Jason Hayward and John Lester you bought some pitching and Jake Arrieta is entering the best years of his career and so everything seemed like it was going to be sustainable for the Cubs to not just be a division championship level team, to not just be a squad that was going to have a great, you know, a great plus minus, you know, a great margin uh, for for their their scoring margin, but a team that could make it to multiple World Series, like the Braves did. Even though the Braves only won one World Series in the 90s, they made it 
to multiple World Series. Just came up short a few times. I'd say the Cubs right now, they, they feel to me like what I think folks felt like about that, that mid to late 80s Bears squad where it just it feels like there's more meat on the bone. And now we're looking at this window for the Cubs where, where it's officially closing. We've been talking about it for a couple of years at this point, and now we're witnessing it. And Jed Hoyer as the, the, the executive still standing with the organization now that Theo has moved on, He's the guy here who's got to figure out how to put the pieces back together, but initially he's got to break them apart. So there's going to be some of that, and I think Joe Kilgallen gave you some really good advice, Cubs fans, on how to try and look at that, how to try to focus on the positive of what we've seen over the last seven seasons here from the Cubs because it's not something that's expected to come around on an annual basis. Just ask the New York Yankees. I mean, they've, They've gotten plenty of positive there, but it's no guarantees when you spend the money. Cubs have spent some money. They're, they're going to go through this thing here in the, in the weeks, months, and maybe a season or two to come. But the indications right now from the folks in the know and certainly from the, the main stakeholders within the organization are that this isn't going to be like what was seen a decade ago with a full teardown. And I think at least, if nothing else, that there should be some solace that's taken in that that doesn't guarantee you a thing but the effort to get it turned back around will, will happen pretty quickly for this organization. I was talking about the, my fandom for the Bears in the 80s and that being, you know, I'm still pretty young at that point, where I, was, uh, where I was thoroughly entrenched in sports fandom and sports knowledge was with the, the squad that went from Chicago Stadium to the United Center. Not the one that went on to win three Stanley Cup championships, but the one bouncing the basketball, the, the Chicago Bulls, and there was one seminal voice that was there calling on the national stage almost all of those major Bulls moments, and he finally hung them up the other day after 55 years in the broadcast business, and in, in thinking about sort, sort of a retrospective sort of mode on what we've seen from the Cubs and, and in thinking about it a little bit through the Bears' lens, I don't remember as much. Uh, about the, the mid-'80s Bears, but I definitely remember everything about the Bulls of the 90s and Marv Albert's voice being on most of those big moments. I'm going to talk to you and, and play for you my my favorite Marv Albert memories calling Chicago Bulls championship moments. I'm going to take a time out and come back. We'll do that next year. I'm Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Selling a little 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We end up winning the series, but it was an incredible, incredible playoff performance. I've never seen it before, and I had never seen it after. That wasn't Michael Jordan out there. It was God disguised as Michael Jordan. Without the hairs on my forearm and on the back of my neck standing up. All throughout the country, I'm going to bet all throughout the world, this song is associated with the Chicago Bulls. My wife and I were just talking about this driving home last night, Sean Anderson, that we couldn't even told you that this was any more than an instrumental. My wife knows a broader variety of music than I do. But of course, for me, growing up a Bulls fan, that's all I associate this with is the starting lineups for your world champion Chicago Bulls. That's all I know this as, but it's it's actually, I'm trying to remember, uh, because this just happened to be on Sirius XM. We were driving home last night. I think it was, um, trying to remember which station it was. I think it might have been like Channel 17 that, that she had the radio on or something like that. And we were driving back. And this came on. Was this like the uh, Alan Parsons Project or something like that? Is that who this song? Yeah, Alan Parsons Project. It's called Sirius. And uh, they were a band from 75 to 90. They're a prog rock band. And I had couldn't have told you that until last night, looking at that on the radio. And we, we had that discussion, me and my wife did, about like anything else that this is worthy of being associated with because that initial instrumental is is what I and what I think most people just associate with the Bulls starting lineup. And then the, the song continues on. It's actually apparently a well-known song or something like that by other people, but I certainly couldn't have told you that. All I know about that is when it was the 90s and it was time for the starting lineups and Ray Clay was on the mic, then it was time for the Bulls to come and take the court. That is what I associate that with. And so that is the music. That is the essentially the soundtrack to the beginning of a Bulls victory that's in most of our minds. But the the soundtrack to Bulls championship basketball was not only like Johnny Red Kerr and Tom Dore 
But and you know, certainly storming Norm Van Leer in the studio back in the day for the Bulls' local broadcast. But on the national stage, I think folks kind of associated Marv Albert with, with essentially being the voice of the Bulls to some extent because the Bulls were always on NBC, always making deep playoff runs, and for the better part of a decade, seemingly always winning the NBA championship six out of eight years. So we're talking a lot throughout the initial stages of the show about the, the Cubs era that didn't end up necessarily being a dynasty. And yes, I'm speaking about it in the past tense because Jed Hoyer is essentially speaking about it in the past tense now as well. I was just talking a moment ago about the Bears of the mid-80s being a squad that didn't quite get to that point. Blackhawks of the whatever the, I don't know what the second decade of this century is going to be known as. Is it the 10s or the teens or whatever term that is? But the Blackhawks got their three Stanley Cup titles. So the Blackhawks were definitively a dynasty. The other dynasty of any recent vintage in this city was, of course, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And Marv Albert has just uh, announced his retirement. Well, he is. He announced his retirement months ago, but he is officially done as a broadcaster after 55 years, calling a variety of different sports. But what he is most known for and will be most remembered as is the voice, the soundtrack, if you will, of the NBA. So I had Sean grab some clips from my favorite Marv Albert calls from the 1990s and uh, and how that sounded as the Bulls were were in one of the most dominant runs that any of us have seen of of anyone, any squad, any team doing anything. So I was going to do a top five, which I could have narrowed it down there, but I ended up going with the top six because just for me in my head, these are six clips that I can almost verbatim just hear Marv Albert's voice and I can quote him back nonstop. So let's start. Uh, for me, at where I, I went with number six in 1993, where this particular series in the NBA Finals that MJ and the Bulls were in was against the Phoenix Suns. And, and there was a moment in that game where there were a few different players that were kind of viewed as being termed as like the Jordan stoppers or, you know, particular individual guys who supposedly matched up well against MJ. And one of those guys was Dan Marley. And for whatever reason, uh, Dan Marley, in addition to shooting really deep threes before that was the really cool thing to do, he was a feisty defender. But as we heard MJ talking about a bit in the last dance, he never felt like he really had any big issue in defeating Dan Marley. And clip number six is an example of that. One thing to remember about that particular series where they defeated the Phoenix Suns in six games, Charles Barkley won the regular season MVP that year. You know, congratulations to Chuck. I think just like the discussion with LeBron turned into at a certain point in LeBron's run that, that's kind of closing at this point. Yeah, you could have given Michael Jordan the MVP every individual year. The NBA had to move on and give, you know, Carl Malone in there, Charles Barkley in there, and the like. But that was uh, that was one of those moments where MJ, in the midst of like some early shooting struggles that particular game, he hit that other gear that we knew Mike uh, for for hitting in a lot of times, especially on the NBA Finals stage. Let's go up to clip number five, uh, where Marv Albert was causing was calling what ended up being a buzzer beater, but it's not the final one against the Utah Jazz that sticks out as much in my memory because it wasn't Marv Albert on the call in 1998. 
Mar Albert had, had moved on by 98. It was Bob Costas calling that. But the Marv Albert call was MJ in 97. It was the first of two different years where he hit a buzzer-beating shot over Brian Russell. But this one took place in game one of the NBA Finals in By that one, you know, the, the Bulls had already come out of the initial three-peat that was there. Mike had had the two-year layoff, and then he returned, and they had won on Father's Day the year before against the Seattle Sonics. Then you get to 97, and now they're in the midst of trying to see if they can go back-to-back again after the initial three-peat. And Utah was viewed as, as the team who had been on this collision course with the Bulls throughout the entire year. MJ, they left him one-on-one. Crossed him over in a similar fashion to what he did the year after that. But that one is, is one, again, that I can just kind of quote verbatim in hearing Marv, Marv Albert call that buzzer beater. Let's move up to number four on the list. This one, not a Michael Jordan moment, but one that, that really stood out for me in a few different ways. It's one stood out for me in being able to hear Marv Albert and the way he described the Bulls trying to take down the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, after they had finally gotten over the Pistons through the, the initial bad boys run and they swept them out a few years before that. And so now the Bulls were obviously the dominant team in the NBA at that point. But then here you have the upstart Knicks and Patrick Ewing and, and Charles Oakley, who was formerly a Bull, and John Starks, who I was talking about uh, on one of the shows last week, just about him being one of the big villains in Chicago sports history. And you had Charles Smith. And this moment from the Bulls' defense in the Eastern Conference Finals in 1993, where the series was tied 2-2, two to two, but this wasn't an MJ offensive moment. This was a Bulls defensive moment. Ewing out to set a pick. Here's Starks, changed his mind. Plenty of time on the shot clock, down to 10. Ewing for Smith. Smith. Smith, Smith, stop, Smith, stop the game by Pippen. What a play by Scottie Pippen. Final seconds, Jordan for Armstrong. And the Bulls have defeated the Knicks. The Chicago Bulls with a couple of spectacular plays. The way that Marv Albert could could capture the moment sometimes with a, a volume of words and with a variety and a and a lot of adjectives and a variety to his description, but then sometimes you're just in the midst of the moment where just a sound gets it or repeating a certain player's name really got it in that moment. And for me as a kid watching that play out, it was myself, my sister, my parents were all like, for whatever reason, we're just huddled up in my parents' room. I remember watching that particular moment of the Eastern Conference Finals playing out. The game's on NBC. It's kind of later in the night at that point. I remember my dad's 6'6". My dad leaps up on top of my parents' bed, and he's literally standing on their bed. So as this is playing out, and Charles Smith continues to try to hit layups over and over again, and Scotty Pippen blocks him, and Scotty blocks him again. And by the way, stop hating on my guy Scotty for his stupid comments, but Scotty blocks him again. Here's Horace in there, and they finally strip the ball away, and they throw it down the court, and we're all just screaming. And I'm looking at my folks. My folks are normally fairly stoic people. They're jumping up and down. They're screaming. My 6'6 dad on his bed's hitting his head on the ceiling. So me and my sister are screaming too. We're all acting like idiots in the room as the bear, as the bulls in the midst of this defensive stop after defensive stop 
thwarting Charles Smith with the game on the line. So that moment and the way Marv Albert calls that action is essentially just the way our minds are watching it play out, just repeating the name Charles Smith and Smith over and over again as he is being thwarted by the Bulls' defense. That was number four on the list for me. Let's move up to number three. Again, another one that's not specifically an MJ moment, but it was a moment that Scotty Pippen, who I was just referencing a moment ago, Scotty did describe his version of this moment and a couple of other moments where it wasn't MJ hitting the game-winning shot, but this one actually went during the first three-peat back in 93 to John Paxson. Has out of this possession. I mean, I couldn't tell you if anybody else was broadcasting basketball games nationally at this point because there were so many magnificent moments being had on NBC by the Chicago Bulls, and all of them were being called by Marv Albert over and over again. So many, yes, and it counts, and all these other things that are going on. And for that moment, at the end of the initial three-peat by the Bulls, that wasn't the first time that we had seen John Paxson hit a big shot. Wasn't the first time MJ had trusted him to do so, even back to the first championship in 1991, where MJ drives and kicks it out to Paxson for some mid-range jumpers, which was still in vogue at that point, which we were seeing the Phoenix Suns kind of bring back in style here during this current NBA Finals. But to be able to punctuate, to culminate that initial three-peat by MJ not being the one taking the shot, but Paxson, who had hit so many big shots before that, ending the opportunity for the Phoenix Suns and and thus thrusting the Bulls into the initial of their two three-peats. And Marv Albert on that call, it it just, it rings throughout my ears in so many different ways, so many different times. Number three on my list. Let's go up to number two. This one, essentially, we're just kind of moving backwards now, retrospectively through the initial three-peat at this point, going back to 1992. And this one, I don't know why game one of the 92 finals isn't just played on a loop on somewhere on like NBA TV or on Sirius XM NBA radio, something like that, where this game, this performance, and even if it was only the first half of game one was the stuff of legend. And with Marv Albert, the reason, not only does he have a a unique voice and there's this this unique set of pipes that doesn't sound exactly like a lot of the other fellow broadcasters and play-by-play announcers that were there, especially while he was in his heyday and he's calling all the big games for the NBA, but he also had sort of that command of the moment also. And so just capturing that where, where Mike does the shrug, you know, maybe the folks at home didn't initially see it, but Marv posing that question, just posing it rhetorically. Because I think it was like uh, Mike Fratello and Magic Johnson, uh, I believe, were on that broadcast with him. But he's just posing that question rhetorically and enjoying the moment while still using some of his, you know, colorful catchphrase kind of stuff that he worked in 
in that game where Mike had like 35 points in the first half, six threes in the first half. The Bulls won by like 30 or something like that. They could have won by 300 if they wanted to for the way that they dominated Portland in that game. But it's another one where I, I could – I could repeat verbatim every moment of that first half where Mike's just hitting three after three, and a lot of it is repetitive because Marvin's just saying the same thing over again. Here's Jordan for three. Yes! Over and over again. So that, to me, is my number two moment. Number one on my list, and I'm guessing that many of you who uh, who know verbatim like I do, I'm sure a lot of you do, uh, what these moments sounded like and what it was like when Marv Albert was calling them probably know what this number one moment is. It was during the time where the Bulls had not yet won a championship. Frankly, they had not yet won an NBA Finals game. And then there was game two at the old Chicago Stadium. And Mike went off as Mike became known to do in the finals. It sounded a little bit like this. The look away to Lovingston. Jordan. Game one didn't start off that well for the Bulls in 1991. There was all that pressure on MJ, and that was one thing NBC was always great at was the, the storytelling aspect of all the scoring championships that Jordan had had. And, you know, Marv would kind of paint the picture during the open of each show. And was Mike just a scorer or was he a champion? And this was his initial opportunity at, uh, at after making a championship, his initial opportunity to bring it home. They didn't get it done in game one. It looked like, man, all right, Magic and these Lakers, who they're accustomed to winning, they might just be bringing another one back to L.A. Then game two happens, and like you heard Marv Albert reference there, 13 consecutive field goals at that point. After L.A. won the first game, the Bulls won the next four. But for Marv Albert, in the way that, that he could not only paint a picture with words at certain points, but not to – he had an ability to not sort of overstate things with certain adjectives. Like that spectacular move by Michael Jordan, you heard him encapsulate it with a, a real sort of guttural reaction where everybody in the arena, everybody watching on television, we all basically said the same thing. Oh, and then after that, he has to find some words to encapsulate the moment as well. And so you got an adjective like a spectacular move by Michael Jordan in the midst of everything else that he'd already been said because they were, 12 other consecutive field goals that Jordan had hit before that. The stadium was rocking and everything was going off. And then from there, Marv Albert had almost just sort of a human, a, a civilian-type reaction before getting back to painting the picture for you. So for me and for, I think, a lot of other people in my age bracket, like right now for current basketball fans, it's probably the, the bang of Mike Breen that, that people hear and associate with the NBA. But for many of us, I know there's, there's probably a generation of folks that have only seen the version of Marv Albert where maybe he's lost his fastball a little bit here recently. For those of us who grew up in the 90s, watching the Bulls and, and living through every moment of that on, on pins and needles the whole time, for us it was Marv Albert. So, Marv, we salute you and your hairpiece. One segment to go here, taking you up till 9 o'clock. I'm Anthony Heron. This is The Score. Good time on the show throughout the night tonight. I haven't, uh, haven't opened the phone lines at all because I had a more condensed time on the air. So I had a few different things I wanted to make sure I got in in just about two hours on the show. 
Haven't gotten out to the text line at all either. The text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. A couple of those in uh, just the, the final few minutes here. The 815 says, I'm just fine with a total rebuild for the Cubs. We were talking some Cubs earlier in the show. Uh, it goes on to say, I know Boston, the Yankees, and others have shown the reload works sometimes, but I'm not confident it's uh, I'm not confident it's piece or two. Okay, so the text line actually it's broken up in a way where this comes through out of order for me. But essentially, the eight one five texter saying that they're they're comfortable with the with the rebuild, the full teardown, as opposed to just reloading things, uh, which it sounds like the Cubs have more of a plan to do uh, than. You know, going all the way back to the way things were in 2012. Uh, 312 Texas says that a, a lot of the college basketball teams and NBA teams use that music too, understood and agreed with. But point I'm making 312 Texture is that for me, what I associate it with is, is the Chicago Bulls. And every time I hear it, my impression is that everyone else associates it with the Chicago Bulls also. Uh, so just like where the you know the Red Sox fans they think that Sweet Caroline like they invented it they created it and you hear that in a bunch of other sports stadiums too, I feel like using that Alan Parsons Project song I think that was pretty I feel like the Bulls are the OGs with that and now a lot of other people have begun doing that because the Bulls popularized it that's that's sort of the point I was attempting to make there. A lot of the points I was making throughout uh, tonight's show were essentially about the the effect that coming off of, you know, the, this recognition that the, the Cubs, this era, this current era of Cubs victory is over, the way that's affected us, affected Cubs fans, the enjoyment of that, thinking back to my childhood as a Bears fan and watching that play out and having a lot of fun uh, talking about the way that Marv Albert and, and his calls of some of the great Bulls moments in the 90s and in the infancy of my sports fandom really affected me as well. We're all affected by a lot of other people in our lives also, and uh, I actually lost a, a former high school teammate of mine from Bolingbrook High School who was living down in Alabama. He was training for a triathlon just a few days ago here. And a guy, same, same uh, graduating class from high school as me, named Ben Shostak, uh, unfortunately was killed by a motorist just driving down the road while he was riding his road bike and training for a triathlon that he really enjoyed participating in and staying in great shape over the years. So he had just turned 42 a few months ago and had a lovely fiance and he was uh he was preparing to be married in the not too distant future and he leaves behind so many other uh, a sister named jill and brother named brian and a bunch of other brothers and two parents who all survive him at this moment so the, the visitations and funeral services will all be taking place this weekend and uh just want to send my thoughts my prayers my love out to the Showstack family i'm planning on uh, doing my best to make it out there to see you guys tomorrow. But wanted to uh, to leave on that note, on a somewhat somber note. But for someone at 42 years old, there's, there's no, obviously, no great time for anyone to pass. But in a, in a tragic manner like that, it's really unfortunate. But love and prayers out to those from my fallen teammate, Benjamin Shostak, and everyone who loved him. I've certainly loved my time on the air with you guys tonight, as I do all the time when I'm here on The Score. My thanks to Joe Kilgallen 
and uh, sharing his thoughts on what's happening with the Cubs. Make sure you check him out on Twitter, Joe Kilgallen, and Locked on Cubs Podcast. Thanks to Sean Anderson as well on the ones and twos for holding it down for me tonight. Thanks to all those who listened, who texted in. I did not open the phone lines tonight, as I said, but we had a brief time with you this evening. I will be on the uh, I'll be on Bears All Access next Thursday. So I'll be on there with Jeff Joniak and the guys talking some Bears as the opening of training camp is just a few short weeks away. So that's where things really heat up and rev up for me as the football season approaches. Looking forward to that in the not-too-distant future. So as of, at the moment, that's the next time you hear me here on The Score. will be next Thursday evening. My thanks to you for everything that you have provided. Appreciations and salutations to all those who listen to Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.